line, top of the circle, hold, backhand, wall! Stuffs that down Ovi's throat with a blocking glove save and steers it into the corner. Very calm, cool, and collected. Bertuzzi in front for Riley, can't shoot it, too much traffic. When he does, it scores! Off to the side was John Tavares, and Morgan Riley spotted him. Quick eyes and the quick feet of Wall made the save down. Nylander in it scores at the other end. Willie Nylander comes across and roofs it. But what a save by Wall to spearhead the attack going the other way. Final seconds ticking down, and the Maple Leafs are going to win this one by the score of four to one. And Joseph Wall, in his last two games, has given up one single solitary goal against. Fan Morning Show Sports at 590. The Fan Bananas, Brent Gunning. Joseph Wall. Waller the baller. What does that game look like yesterday with Elias Samsonov in that? We can't. I mean, it's not fair. He's you, crying after Ovechkin <laughs> runs. No, that's who knows. Honestly, if you if you would have told me a shutout, I don't I don't unbelieve it. Yeah, that's the thing. They're goalies. Ooh. Yeah, and and you know what? It must be said that outside of the Tampa game, and you know he never got a chance to finish it. Maybe he would have done the same thing Joseph Wall did and allowed Matthew Nyes to score the couple goals and win the hockey game. Probably not. He did enough to win the first two games of the season despite not looking super great. So, I mean, let's be honest. Austin Matthews did enough to win the first game of the season. Yeah, and there was a couple of six-on-five goals there to to send it to overtime. I'm fully aware. (laughs) But I, I will say that, okay, because the goaltending is so good, and it's not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. You, you pr- probably can't win too many hockey games getting outshot by almost two yeah. to one. Let's not sign up for too many more. But it, it does feel like a different narrative than the way the Leafs won those first two hockey games. Part of it is, yeah, the, the goals in the back of the net, but part of it is also like the quality of, of opportunities. Mm-hmm. The other part is it, it being on the road, right? being the third game of a five-game road trip and the way they were able to shut it down at the end. Once once they understood that they they benefited from their goalkeeper keeping them in the game mm-hmm. through 40 minutes and then their elite offensive talent giving them the lead, they did the thing that good teams do and they say, oh, you know, we're not going to fritter away this good fortune that we've got here. We're actually going to lock it down on the road for the final 20 minutes. Yeah, I think I think anybody who wants to just go look at the first period of that game and you can be as upset about that as you want. Quite frankly, that was not good. That was not the start you want. You put wall in a bad position and he held his head far above water during it. And yeah, a little bit of that is luck with they think a pretty fortuitous goal getting overturned there, but you have to take advantage of the breaks that you were given. And that's exactly what you the think Leafs. people should be allowed to run over goaltenders and then stand in the crease as, as pucks I, are shot in the net. I don't think them not actually touching a goalie should result in that because he, <laughs> It was, you know what it was? It was like, I don't, it was, it was almost like the Kobe Bryant, Matt Barnes ball flinch because Ovechkin just ran near mm. him and he dove over top of him, but he didn't touch him again. Like, I think they ended up at the right place, but I would have been steaming I mad thought, if that call went the other way. I thought there was maybe going to be a replay that showed definitively that he touched like the knob of the stick. Oh, which, that was the other thing I was looking at there of, oh, could, could, which is chicanery. Come on. <laughs> yeah, the Leafs took advantage of that. Although it must be said, like maybe that's just, they, they have the advantage in that area. Sheldon Keefe has won 10 straight challenges. And, and Jordan Bean 
Give him his credit. Okay, Jordan Bean. Pulling the strings behind the scene. Yeah, you would would recognize Jordan Bean if he was in this room right now? Nope. Because you know why? Because they didn't show him during the first game of the season when they were introducing all the coaches. They're like, it's Jordan Bean. And I'm like, that's definitely not Jordan Bean because I recognized who it was because it was Scotty Hastings, the equipment guy. There you go. Yeah. I know too much about this team is what I think I'm realizing there. We all know Scotty Hastings. He's he's an institution behind the bench. All right. um, This Insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And it's Bobby, not Scotty. And in the showroom, visit Don Valley North Lexus. Dot com. Today's insider is the intrepid Luke Fox on uh, the road trip uh, for this Leafs team. How's it going, Luke? It's going okay. You guys are going deep already. I it's heard just, Bobby Hastings' name. It's, it's just me. I drag Ben into the, the depths of Leafs doldrums. I, there's plenty of other things to talk about. But, yeah, I am who I am. You know what? While we're on super minutia, maybe you can settle something we were wondering about earlier in the show. Maybe you can't. We see it all the time on TV. When there's a challenge happening or a review, the coaches are looking at their feet. There's a monitor down there. Do you know, is that just the TV feed that they're seeing? Are they just seeing what we see? Do they see all the angles that the video guy is looking at? We were just wondering, and I I don't know if you, you might have more. Well, you definitely have more insight on this than me. I just don't know if you have enough insight to answer the question. Yeah, no, that, it, it's funny you asked that because I asked Sheldon Keefe about that challenge after the game because he used the timeout first, mm-hmm. right, before he actually asked that for move. the challenge. And, and I said, was that beca- like, why, why did you use the timeout? Was that because you're waiting for a different angle? And he said, you know what, I didn't, it, we didn't even see another angle. We just saw this, the one angle, which I'm assuming is the one that, that we saw on TV. He was just you know, in conversation with the video guys and they had to basically convince him mm. to challenge because like many of us, he's seen a similar plays where you don't really know if they're going to overturn it or not. And he just wanted more time to think about it. He wasn't waiting for a different angle, uh, just the one. And he decided to go for it because it was a really, like, you look back and yeah, they went for one and kind of cruise. But at that juncture, oh man, it was a pretty critical, pretty critical point in the game, right? Like, like if you go down a one and your challenge fails, you put them back on the power play again, and there's Ovechkin teeing them up just like crazy from his spot, and you risk going down o two, and it's a completely different hockey game. So uh, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go for the challenge, and it ends up, you know, you wipe the goal off the board, and it ends up being being a really critical moment in the game, especially since the Leafs have had issues scoring the first goal. So you get that one off and then they score the first goal and then they can kind of, you know, dictate play a little bit. Yeah, no, it was a huge, huge moment in in the hockey game allowed uh, Joseph Wall to continue to make saves there and and the Leafs jump off uh, to the big lead and hold on with a a pretty professional looking third period. It's pretty crazy that you've got a, a goalie with as limited a track record of Joseph Wall making a quarter of the money as Ilya Samsonov and Samsonov coming off the first postseason series victory for this team in over two decades. And it's, I, I think just about everybody is, is more than willing to say, Oh yeah, no Joseph wall at this point is like not the unquestioned number one, but he is like, he has to be treated as the number one right now, Luke. For now, for sure. I, I agree with you, Ben. Like, I mean, you got to ride the hot hand. He, he's been dialed in, uh, you know, he, yeah, he gives up one goal, on the power play last night, but uh, nothing at even strength. And it's not just the fact that he made 36 saves. It's how he looks doing it. 
you know, he's not out of position. He's not swimming in his crease. He's a big guy. He's extremely flexible. And then when you talk to him, he is just dialed in. Uh, it's, it's like the moment doesn't phase him, which, which is really uh, interesting, I think, for a guy who's played so few NHL games in his career. Uh, he, he really actually feels ready for, for this. And it, it's put some pressure on Samsonov for sure. Uh, Samsonov at practice is, is out there putting in work, talking about how I have to just go, simplify my game and go back to basics. Uh, we're talking about two goalies in completely different mental states. One is just relaxed and calm and feeling like, you know, yeah, I've been slowly groomed and, and now is my time. And the other one, I think, is a little bit reeling. And I, I wonder, you can't help but think this goes back to the off season, right? Samsonov wanted a multi-year deal. He took a one-year prove-it deal to be the Maple Leafs goalie last year. Uh, and, you know, in, in a battle with Matt Murray, he actually had a, a decent playoffs out duels. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky, who's who's like a god in, in their native Russia, right? Like, that was yeah. a big deal for him. Uh, and Judas and then, here. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, but but then he feels like, okay, I proved it. You know, I got you guys over the hump. I was a good goalie. And now all you want to do is take me to arbitration, only give me a one-year deal. Um, this is why. You know, he, <laughs> I, I mean, it's his goalies are, are hard to predict, but he probably felt like, what, what more do I have to do? Um, and obviously the organization did, did not have complete faith in him. Give you the one year. We really like this Joseph Wall kid coming up behind you. And, you know, I, I don't think it would have been a stretch to think that Wall would overtake him, but I don't think many people saw it happening this quickly. No, even the people who are most bullish on it, and I'll, I'll count myself among that group of saying, yeah, I think when it's all said and done, Wall's going to be the guy. I figured we'd be having this discussion in at the earliest, you know, Christmas, New Year's, not before Halloween has has even struck. The other thing I, I look at with this is, and, you know, I think it, it must be stated. I, I don't want to state it, but it must be that, you know, it's possible Joe Wall lays a bit of an egg his next time out and Samsonov's going back, but there is no set spot to put him they play tomorrow they play Saturday then it's a Tuesday game then it's Thursday then it's a Saturday a Monday a Wednesday there are no back-to-backs coming for for this team how carefully do you think Sheldon Keefe has to kind of walk this line of using his goaltenders and picking the right one on any given night because as confident as we all are about Wall right now we obviously can't afford to lose Samsonov yeah no that's a good point Brent and and whenever you talk to Sheldon Keefe he's always talking about well, you need two goalies. You know, it's a long season. And it, I think the organization learned a lot from burning out Freddie Anderson and, and really having the one guy that that's all they used. And they Should have, have no kept trust. That's why. And they, no trust in the backups there for a stretch, right? Uh, if, if you look back a couple of years. So that they do believe that you need, need two. And the hope is that if one hits a lull, the other gets going. In an ideal world, both are going and they're pushing for starts. So it's, it's going to be interesting, right, how he divides them up. Because like you said, there's no back-to-back, no obvious time to take Wall out. Uh, you know, so, so some people will say, argue that there's a case to put Samsonov back in, that you don't want to lose him, that, you know, you don't want him just sitting there on the sidelines. He needs to regain his confidence. I'm of the mind that you keep riding Wall as long as he's playing this well. Uh, and then if he has, you know, a subpar start, then it's kind of easy to go back to Samsonov and say, okay, 
you're rested. Uh, let's get you back in there. Um, so, but it, when in talking to the coach, it's obvious who who his favorite goalie is. He, he, he doesn't. He does not have the greatest poker face. Uh, he was. Oh, he was pushing. pretty up. Yeah. He yes, exactly. <laughs> he was pretty upset with 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 Samsonov letting in in three on four uh, in Tampa, and it, you know you get him started on Joseph Wall, and and he'll give you like this long soliloquy about how much he loves the guy. So. It's no secret who the organization <laughs> wants to take the ball and, and run with it here. Yeah, let's take it easy comparing him to Carey Price like Max Domi did. But no, it's it's it's, it's been good. It's hard to argue with the results. Go bigger. Ken tried it. Why not? No, no, no. Calm down, Brent. It's it's hard to argue with the results off of William Nylander's stick uh, to start this season, uh, Luke. It's ridiculous. After a career high, 87 points, the 40 goals. He's got the, the 10 points and now five goals in six games this season. I mean, are we looking at a 100-point, 50-goal season for William Nylander? Like, I, I know it's, it's obvious that, that that would be the, the place that your mind would go to uh, considering the start. But, like, how sustainable is what he's doing with John Tavares? I don't know. It looks pretty good to me. Uh, this guy is, is buzzing. Like, he, he is flying. And the thing he keeps coming back to, he's a man of a few words. But whenever you talk to him about his hot start, he's basically just always says the same thing. And it's his skating. He's like, if I'm moving my feet, I'm going to be effective. And, you know, I, I think he's just, he just has a bit more purpose uh, when he has the pocket, like driving to the net, like crazy. And, you know, I think he's, he's coming off his best year, 40 goal season. And even in that, there were a couple dips of, of inconsistency last year. And so far, you know, him and, and John Tavares, uh, out to, to six-game point streaks to start the season. It's his hottest start ever. Um, and, you know, naturally your mind goes to, well, uh, there's some incentive this year in particular for him. But he looks phenomenal. And there was a stretch there where you're like, yeah, they put uh, Tavares and Nylander together, but is that because it's just by default? Is that just because uh, Matthews wants to play with Marner and then, okay, we'll throw our, our next two best players together and, and hope they work it out. And their, their chemistry hasn't always been there, but this year uh, it's dialed in and whether that's on the power play or even strength, they, they look dangerous. Um, and I actually thought Bertuzzi had an okay game. And, and that's the interesting part is he's kind of been there by default because Sheldon Keefe hasn't loved Bertuzzi up with on the top line and, and, at even strength, he wasn't making much of an impact. So if those three can find some chemistry, then I think you're on to something. Because Bertuzzi, to me, has been the guy that hasn't quite fit. Domi had that breakout game in Tampa. He got another assist uh, last night. But Bertuzzi's the one where you're like, okay, when are we going to see it? When are we going to see why why this team went out and paid a, a, a pretty hefty penny for him in, in free agency? Where is he going to fit? So if he can find a, a a home there with Tavares and Nylander, then you might be onto something. Yeah, I think that's that's the the next ob- most obvious spot to to try him. And you know, with with Domi and Bertuzzi coming in, there was so much focus on them. And I don't want to say Matthew Nyes flew under the radar by 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 any means, but you know, looking at it, it is a little interesting how he's been utilized this year. You know, when when he was coming out of school last year and getting injected into the lineup, it was not right into the top six, but he certainly earned his spot there. You know, more or less uh, immediately. Obviously, it's important more so for Domi than for Nyes that they. They've found a little chemistry together, but are you surprised that Nyes hasn't found a little bit more of a foothold in this, in this forward group so far this year, Luke? Um, 
No, it's a good question. I, I think he's looked great wherever he's been. I, I agree. I, I just want to say that as well. I've really liked him. It just feels like maybe yeah. there's a little more to get out of him. Well, I, I think it's smart because I, I feel like if you had started him in the top six, then you're adding pressure to him to, to produce. Then, then, then I think if you're Matthew Nyes, you, you feel you have to put up points. And then if he doesn't, it's like, oh, is this kid a disappointment as a rookie? I actually think it's smart that they're, they're started him in the bottom six and, you know, there's still that, that other level for him to reach. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing that they've done this, but for sure there's been a couple of times where Sheldon Keith said, you know, we have to find more ice time for this guy. And, and why wouldn't he say that? Because he seems to make an impact even on shifts where maybe he's not creating, you know, grade A scoring chances. He still does the right thing, and he's you know really diligent on the board battles. He's hard on the forecheck. Uh, you know, there's seldom a shift where you're you don't recognize him. Um, you know, even games where he doesn't get a point, you you still notice him. Uh, and I I think he's been phenomenal. Is there another level for him to get to? Do I think he's eventually going to end up in the Leafs top six? I'd say yeah, but I, I think part of it is you know the veterans getting the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think part of the sales job, even if they will tell you, if you're selling a free agent and saying, hey, if you're, you're, if you're going to sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs, we could put you with Matthew tomorrow. We could put you with Tavares and Nylander. I don't think you, you bring in a, a Domi or a Bertuzzi and, and say, okay, you're starting in our bottom six because we really like our rookie. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. And we're, we're seeing it play out Nice is slowly earning a little bit more trust. Bertuzzi's kind of fallen down the, the pecking order a little bit. And a little healthy competition on the team's not a bad thing. Leafs with a couple of power play goals yesterday. They're now clicking at a robust 35% on the power play this season. Seven power play goals in the six games this year. Obviously, this is a you know, new look power play, of, of course, with John Klingberg uh, at the point. They're just like, take the numbers out of it. Luke, like how compare what this power play looks like in limited sample this season to the one that was so good last season. Yeah, I think that's a great point is forget the numbers. Just use your eyes. Like they move, they change positions. They're active. They shoot more. Uh, they follow up their shots. You know, I, I asked Austin Matthews kind of what was the, is the biggest difference between Guy Boucher's uh, power play and and Spencer Carberry's and he's like we take less time to reset we, we're, it's more of a mindset of attacking and you can see it and last night I think was a, was a fine example um, when you contrast it with the Washington Capitals power play which had not scored a goal until last night uh, they went 0 for 4 in their, their first four games and their power play is very stagnant um, it, we all know where the puck's going, which circle it's going, and who has his stick cocked by his ear ready to, to slam a one-timer. It's very predictable. Whereas the Leafs, they're, they're changing positions, they're moving, they're following up their rebounds. Uh, it's, it's very aggressive, and I, I, like aesthetically, I, I love it. Um, so it's, it shouldn't be a surprise that they're actually finding results. And it, and it is kind of funny, right? Like This was the best power play in the East last season, second only in the league to the Edmonton Oilers, which had an all-time power play percentage. So you think like, well, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But they found a way to improve it. They changed Morgan Riley for John Klingberg. And actually, Morgan Riley scored on the second unit. 
last night. Uh, but I think it's more the coaching. I think a lot of credit is, is due to Guy Boucher um, for getting these guys uh, a bit hungrier on the power play. And I think it's fantastic to watch because even if they don't score, they seem to be gaining momentum by it. Yeah, and that was that was such a problem for the power play in years past with this team was it wasn't just that you weren't scoring. They would have too many power plays that seemed to suck life out of the building or suck momentum mm-hmm. uh, away from them. I don't have any numbers on this. I'm using my eyes purely. I wonder if you've seen the same thing. Does it feel like Matthews is using the slap shot a lot more this year? He had the big one at the top last night. He had one coming down the wing a couple of games ago. And, you know, I, I'm sure it's just a sniper looking at different ways, giving goalies different looks. But I don't know. Do you feel that he's been going to the clapper a little more this year, Luke? Yes. And, and as soon as you said that, I thought about the one coming down the wing. Uh, that was that was Tampa, 80s. Tampa. That, that was, was like, like 80s. That was like old. Yeah, it was old school. I, I liked it. Uh, so after practice... Every single uh, practice, uh, he stays and is on the flank, and he'll have someone feed him uh, one-timers, and it's always a slap shot. Uh, and then sometimes he'll, he'll take it and fake uh, like he's going to shoot and then make a move, like a little juke, and shoot. But he's been working on that. He's been working on that at, at practice. Like every, every single time he finishes practice with a bunch of clappers. So I, I think it's just another tool in his arsenal uh you know spencer carberry was talking about you know he's the the most frustrating guy to pre-scout for Mm. because it's like okay this guy can score in 20 different ways we want you guys to be prepared (laughs) for all of them and try to shut down all the different ways he can score good luck darcy laughing like he's not a one-trick pony he's got the the wickedest wrist shot in the in the whole game and now he's working on his slap shot he's also really good at tips uh he's got hands he can he can beat like i I think that's that's the most remarkable thing about austin as a goal scorer is the variety of ways that he can beat a goalie and and you're right i like how you pick that up He, he does seem to be going at the clapper a little bit more yeah uh he's back on the score sheet after those those three Tough, tough days. Uh, Austin in, Matthews, in still good. Who yeah. knew? Uh, yeah. Picking yeah. up goal number seven. Uh, Luke, appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of the trip, man. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. See you, Luke. Luke Fox, Sportsnet's own. He was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Austin Matthews, good. Yesterday, my take was uh, Kansas City Chiefs, good. Today, Austin Matthews, very good. Uh, I'm not going to quibble with it. Yesterday, I was like, the Eagles are good, yeah, too. Right. I'm not going to caveat right. that one. I'm okay. just going to co-sign. Good. Uh, Dane Cook's Perfectly Shattered Tour coming to Casino Rhyme Resort on November 10th. And we are giving away tickets all week long to enter. All you have to do is tune into episodes of the Fan Morning Show. Listen for the code word. Then text the code word to 59590. Today's code word is humor. Text humor to 59590 right now to enter for your chance to win. We will be giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. But if you don't win with us, secure yours at Ticketmaster.ca. It's opening night for the Raptors. Grange said it, so I can't quibble. Against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Games count for real. We'll talk to the general manager of the Toronto Raptors, Bobby Webster, next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Good morning, Joe. It's 4759 the fan band. And it's Brent Gutting. Game 1 of 82 for the Raptors tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590, the fan. 1 of 82. And somewhere in there is this number that I am not 100% sure of that are in-season tournament games. Ah, yes. It's one of the, it's like, 10-ish. And it depends. You could have more. If you end up in the championship game, end up with one extra game. I will say, hey, everybody should want to win the in-season tournament, obviously, oh. right? Sure. But, but for a team that just won the NBA championship, the Denver Nuggets, I'm thinking it's like a little lower down the pecking order. For a team like the Raptors, I think that's very much in their purview, the in-season tournament. And, and we'll see how uh, focused they are on winning that thing. But uh, game one of 82, the regular season starting tonight, as mentioned, down at Scotiabank Arena. Let's talk to Bobby Webster, Raptors general manager, who joins us online right now. How's it going, Bobby? Good morning, fellas. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. So, so you guys were a 500 team a season ago, uh, lose in the play-in tournament. You lose your all-star point guard to free agency. We know there's a turnover at the head coaching position. You have a first-round pick. Like, what is the path to this team being better than a 41-win team that it was a season ago? Yeah, no, I think we've talked about it ad nauseum here. We're kind of flushing last season behind us, but I think there's a new energy, new coach, uh, a few new players here, and I think just style of play on offense, we'll see. It's a bit more team-friendly, pass the ball, share. You know, obviously guys will <clears throat> get to their spots, but I think um, it should just be a, a bit more team-centric this year. So you, you talk about wanting to flip the page, and obviously when there's when there's a coaching change, I think it's fair to do that. But I also wonder how much you, you guys want to flip the page because part of what has separated the Raptors during during this run, and obviously you guys haven't been quite at the heights of the championship year, was that kind of Raptors culture. And I imagine you still have a lot of that within the organization that you wanted want to filter through to the team. How do you keep whatever it is that's the secret sauce that you guys like about what you built there and also work in a new personality and someone who's obviously going to have a big say in the culture in a new head coach and coach Darko 100% you're kind of on it which is you know you don't want to kind of throw the entire the entire foundation out we've obviously built you know something here based on you know high character hardworking, um, you know really competitive guys and so to keep that edge I think is what we value and I think when you start to you know go the other way I think you you sort of lose that competitiveness and kind of winning tradition here so you want to maintain that Obviously, you want to incorporate new players, new coaches. Um, and so I think it is, you know, it was an offseason of change. It was by, you know, most people's, you know, stretch. Last year was a disappointing end. And so I think for us, um, being able to look at ourselves, you know, make some major changes, wholesale changes on the coaching staff, um, new point guard, uh, new draft pick, you know, a few different players on the perimeter. So we're excited. I, I think it's, you know, kind of the proof is in the pudding. And I think that's what everybody's kind of waiting for here is to see what it looks like tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of us who have watched over the preseason, you know, it feels different. It looks different, um, different energy, excitement. Um, so this has to translate tonight. And I think we're all excited. And, you know, there's a, always a bit of unknown um, when you have a first-time head coach. But Darko's been incredible. He's been as advertised. He brings a blend of international background and, you know, 15, you know, years here in the NBA and the States. Um, so we're excited and, you know, can't wait to get out there tonight at uh, 730. So Bobby, in this era, in, in professional sports, both as an observer and obviously as, as executive, so much is quantifiable and, and there's, there's numbers to represent everything, but what you're talking about, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong in talking about why this team has a better chance to improve, um, from last year's 41 win team is something that's, that, that seems 
less quantifiable, less that you can actually put your finger on? Is there an actual number that you're talking about? Like, is there a, a, a statistic that that will indicate to you that 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 the things that you're hoping will take place with this Raptors team are taking place? Well, I think kind of what you said is unquantifiable, but I, but I think everybody knows it, right? When there's good chemistry and players are playing for each other, um, and there's great body language and they're playing as a team, I think that's obvious, right? Um, to your point, like has you know the analytics world been able to quantify that? No, but I think you know most casual fans and people that grew up following sports know that, right? When they see it, and so that's why I kind of say, you know, hopefully, you know, tonight on the court that'll be there. Um, obviously, there's some internal stuff of you know how many games should we have won last year, how many games win we win this year, but I don't think that's our focus. And I think sometimes if you, you know, put you know, some arbitrary number out there. You're playing to that number as opposed to playing to what we want, which is kind of more of a style um, for each other, um, in it together, win together, which is somewhat, you know, generic and cliche, but I think that wasn't here last year. And so I think hopefully we'll know that this year when we see it. Were you able to diagnose why it didn't happen last year? Obviously, like the evidence from the outside looking in was that, yeah, hey, there's a difference in, in head coach, but like how how long was the process and in and and trying to identify exactly why it played out that way. Well, and Bobby, just to jump in and put a finer point on it, I mean, Masai Ujiri himself used the word selfish when talking about some of the problems. And again, just following up, do you feel like you guys were able to remove whatever that was or, or alter that in the organization? <laughs> you know, I, I think we've talked about last year enough. I. I I'm not, I don't know if we have to have the answer for last year. I think we can also kind of, you know, look forward and be excited for this year. And I don't, you know, I think it just last year has been discussed that enough. Um, but no, I mean, I think, yeah, it's playing together. I think playing for each other, I think is probably the, the biggest overarching one. Um, and, you know, looking ahead, like we feel like we have that and we have a group that, you know, is playing for each other. We have a coach who's preaching a style that um, hopefully resonates with the players, but also resonates with the fans when they come and watch a game. So we're excited. You know, we're not thinking too much about last year anymore, and we're looking forward to the future. Yeah, so if you're if you're looking forward to the future of this organization, I think a lot of people, and you know, you would say it's not about any one player or two players, but when you have a guy who was a fourth overall pick and a rookie of the year, I think a lot of people will look to Scotty Barnes and say, to a certain extent, the organization is going to go how how he goes. Uh, how do, how important is it for for any young player, but him specifically, to take a bit of a leap and have more of an imprint? And that's not to say he hasn't been a big part of this team, but again, if he again fourth overall pick, rookie of the year. I, I think it's fair to expect a, a leap to come from him. How much of this team's fortunes kind of rest on that to a certain extent, Bobby? Of course, with those with those accolades come a lot of, you know, expectation. I think Scotty, um, you know, is taking this summer incredibly seriously. Um, I say over the course of the preseason, we've seen him impact and dominate games for longer stretches of time. And I think that's, um, you know, part of his maturity. He's 22 years old now. And so we've all seen the flashes, right? He's rookie of the year. We'll see a quarter where he dominates or maybe even, you know, longer stretches, but, um, you know, the challenge for him is, is to have that level of focus and that level of, uh, dedication for longer periods of time. And so, uh, come in the game and impact the game on both ends. Right. And we've seen it where they'll make a block or come down and, you know, drive and make a dunk. And so I think those are the type of things you're seeing from Scotty is, is can he sustain that level, um, for a longer period of time and simultaneously shorten those lapses on the other side. And so we're excited. Um, obviously a big year, he's still 22, but, you know, this is, uh, you know, he he kind of can alter, I think, as you're saying, our ceiling. 
Yeah, how much with a, with a player like Scotty and just in talking with people, you know, who cover the team on a, on a day-to-day basis, I think so much of the excitement factor around him, but also the unknown part is that if you close your eyes and I tell you it's 10 years deep into Scotty Barnes' career, I bet you can envision three, four different versions of what that player looks like because the skill set is so vast. I mean, I understand you just want the player to grow into whatever he's going to become, but what is the kind of, and I, I shouldn't say fully fully formed, but in what direction do you think Scotty Barnes can go because you know some people can close their eyes and we all saw the magic stuff and okay nobody's magic that's a little overstating it but there's the big playmaker there's a post player you know we don't so much look at positions in basketball as much as much as we look at kind of player profiles is that part of the the element of kind of building Scotty up or the the question surrounding him is just how many different ways his game his game can grow that's big right that feels a bit um you know abstract and kind of hard to put your hands around so I think for us and with Scotty, it's probably more um, on a day-to-day kind of stair step. So what, what did you work on this summer, right? You're not going to work on, like you said, all 12 things. You're not going to all of a sudden become Steph Curry and uh, LeBron James and, you know, defensive player of the year, right? So, like, what are we working on, right? So I think, you know, people see it, ball in his hands, bigger, stronger, um, working on his jump shot, right? So, like, you can just stop there and say, okay, we're not putting anything, you know, higher on you. But these are the areas that we need you to kind of – focus on get better at and we're right there along with you where our coaches are with you we're down in florida you're up in toronto so all those things kind of match with where he wants to get to um but yeah we take it obviously a more you know kind of patient um day-to-day month-to-month season-to-season approach but yeah we obviously have expectations he has expectations of himself and so we don't get too caught up in what does he look like in 10 years we probably get more caught up in what will he look like tonight and what will he look like you know, December one, what will he look like a, you know, all-star break and that kind of thing. Bobby, there's a, a more than a few Raptors fans that are a little confused about the direction this Raptors team is going in, in that it doesn't feel like it's, it's an, on a necessarily championship uh, trajectory. And, and who knows, maybe there's a step forward for Scotty Barnes. The changes are thinking on that. And, and if it's not a championship ceiling, it, it certainly doesn't feel like it's, yeah, it, it's a team that's ready to take a step backwards and, and generate the, the assets that would be required to become a championship level NBA team. What, what do you say to the idea that, that that many view this Raptors team as in the worst spot you can be in, in, in pro sports, which is like kind of like fringy playoff team in the mushy middle. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I think that, um, I think it's a bit too simplistic, right. In whatever sport you're in to say, it's gotta be one way or the other, right. There's been, you know, a lot of teams that kind of, as they would say, build from the middle, um, and I think, you know, kind of the notion of being stuck is probably more along the lines of, um, you know, not having draft picks or maybe having contracts that you can't move. And so I think there's, you know, different definitions of it. I definitely feel for the fan who's like, okay, we didn't make the plan last year. How are we going to make a jump off of that? Um, and so it is. It's a couple of things that we've talked, right? So Scotty has to do it. Pascal has to do it. OG has to make a jump, right? And so there's a number of things that would necessitate us, you know, making that jump. But we're confident. These are all guys that, you know, by and large, we've drafted, we've developed, um, you know, hopefully we know them better than, you know, a player on another team. And so we believe in them and, and, you know, we've done that kind of historically here, which is continue to build our own players up. Um, and hopefully they reach the heights that, you know, the past, you know, Raptor grades have. And so, um, that's sort of our default. And if things don't work out down the line, fine, but, you know, we believe in this group and, you know, we think there's a lot of growth left in this team. 
somebody who's been a massive part of this going all the way back to, to the championship. And then his roles only kind of growing in the time since is Pascal Siakam. There is obviously a lot of questions surrounding his contractual status. Uh, not for this year. He's under contract, but the possibility of getting an extension done here, that happening in the off season. Can you just update us at all on any conversations you've, you, you guys have had with Pascal Siakam surrounding an extension or, or his future here in Toronto? Yeah, you know, we don't comment too much publicly on, on negotiations. I'm not sure those, uh, you know, are good or, uh, you know, for the team or for the player. Um, but, no, Pascal has been great. I think, obviously, it was an uncomfortable summer for all of us. I think, you know, we didn't have the season that we wanted last year, so it really forced us to, to look at our decisions. And so, um, you know, spoken to Pascal, I think those of us, those of you who watched us in the preseason, he's playing, um, you know, hopefully fewer minutes, you know, less intense, but allows him to kind of be more efficient um, but still get, you know, his numbers and, and still feel like he's one of the top players in the league. So um, great relationship with Pascal and, and, you know, we look forward to, you know, the future with him. I know it's possible you give me a very similar answer, but I've got to ask you look at you look at a guy like OG who has the player option and we understand the rules regarding NBA contracts. You know, you guys not able to offer him what he could potentially get on, on the open market. How does that aspect of understanding you may very well have to walk a player to free agency change how, how you deal with them and and possible trade talks or or just, again, long term long term planning uh, regarding that player? As you kind of said, OG is a little bit different just because the the NBA's collective bargaining rules don't really allow us to, um, you know, come to an agreement. Um, and yeah, that one will be a bit more kind of how the season goes. Um, you know, how is he fitting in? Um, what are his areas of, of growth? What's he doing better on? I think last year we saw an incredible all defensive performance, whether he was second team or first team. I think everyone can agree he was one of the top defenders guarded everyone's best player right and so that's the the growth for og and then the offensive end the you know improved offensive skill set and shooting and shooting off the dribble and the things that um you know we've seen i think over the first six years in his career um but yeah his will be a little different where um you kind of can't have uh the conversations to come to a deal over the course of the season so there'll be a bit of uncertainty as you approach next summer but similarly we've had og here since you know he was drafted and you know, good relationship can communicate very openly with him and, um, you know, excited for his season as well. Uh, Bobby, before I let you go, this is the the first year of the in-season tournament. I mentioned it as we were bringing you on. Um, What are your expectations for that thing and and how seriously teams will take it? I think it's incredible. You know, I think it'll look different. I think the NBA wants it to feel different. Will everybody understand it? I think that's the big question. (laughs) Um, No, I I can answer that. No, they will not. (laughs) But, but, um, you know, these things take time, right? And so whatever international cup you follow, whether it's in Europe or, you know, maybe South America or football or, you know, rugby, anything, right? It takes time. And so you have to build a tradition. You probably have to have a couple of iconic shots or a couple of iconic games. Maybe you have a, you know, a natural rivalry, East versus West. So those are the things that we're kind of looking forward to. Can I sit here and tell you what it's exactly going to look like? No, um, <laughs> but I think hopefully the fans get excited. At the end of it, there's a eight-team single elimination tournament. It culminates in Las Vegas, so there's, you know, worse places to go if, you know, fans want to come meet. Um, But, no, I think it'll just take time, and I think it's partly um, the players' buy-in. I think the overarching thing here is there's obviously an incredible media opportunity to, to sell this thing. Um, but we're really excited and, you know, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what those games feel like, but we'll definitely push the players to, you know, have fun with it and, and make it competitive. Uh, season starts for real tonight. Scotiabank, uh, Bobby, uh, best of luck this season. Thanks for doing this. Thanks. Always appreciate you. Thank you for the support. There's Bobby Webster.
Raptors general manager did not want to talk too much about last season. I don't know if you heard, but his boss called the team selfish to our face. (laughs) I reminded him in case he forgot. I mean, but not only did it last year, did it again at his season opening media availability this year. So if they're looking to move off of that narrative surrounding the team a season ago, the, the, the way it was messaged before the season didn't really indicate as much. It is pretty telling, though. And I, I kind of preface the question in saying, hey, like the proof is in the pudding what you believe the root cause of this thing was because there's one guy who's not a part of this team that was last season. It was Nick Nurse. And yeah, not to say that Nick Nurse is a bad guy. Like he's brought an NBA championship mm-hmm. to the city of Toronto. I mean, it was the Purple Dinosaur team won an NBA yep. title well, somehow. One other pretty impactful guy, too. Sure, but he was there. Listen, yeah. okay? Th- those were not... He didn't romp through the playoffs with blowouts. No. Nope. Boxing one, remember? Yeah. Oh, like, boy, do I. Okay, so Tell he, tales about it for the rest of my days. He, but it is interesting that, that man... Uh, a word like selfish. We, we, in hockey, we talk about soft man. You can't be God if you say that. You're you might as well talk about somebody's mother, their <laughs> their wife. Like yeah, it's, just go there. You might as well. It's the same say thing. It really is. But imagine in, if you called somebody's mother soft. In the NBA, I, I feel like selfish is kind of. It's in the same stratosphere, right? Like talking about a guy's like hero ball. Nobody yeah. wants to be labeled as the guy that plays hero ball. Not even Tyler. <laughs> I mean, he might because no, he'd be I like, "I play hero no. ball, which is sharing the ball, but it's oh, not even." But yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. No, but it's it's he it did it twice. The the word selfish to to that team, and it's like I said, it's I like to quantify stuff. Like I like a number, a nice mm-hmm. round number, and and maybe field goal. You want selflessness per sixty? Yeah, well, and maybe assist percentage per on sorry. assist percentage on field goals would be the one statistic that you can point to. But boy, this team really does believe in something being just rotten with that team. Like the vibes. They're banking a lot on the vibes being different this year are and you, not being responsible for like 10 wins. Are you uh, are you a ghost person at all? Do you believe in, in ghosts, creepy crawlies, no, extraterrestrials, whatever you want to call them? I don't necessarily believe in Ghosts, quote unquote, okay. ghosts like little like like, he, like sure. beings going. I do believe in energy. Okay, okay? like well, not, not to be what I'm getting to, not at, to take your question too seriously. What I'm getting at yeah, here energy. is that you know I I I'm not gonna pretend this happened to me like all the time, but a few times in my life it's like oh this uh, there's just a haunted house here, and there's kind of two ways people can go with that. It's like you know we had a joke growing up that my house was haunted. Like oh there's Casper knocking something off the wall, funny thing. But there's also people who are saying. Don't talk about the ghost. You don't want to invite the ghost. And that is how the Raptors are treating this season from last year. Like it is haunted. Like it is disgusting. They want no part of it. We three or four times tried to reference last season. And before the question could even be answered, we're not talking about last season. It is remarkable how fast they want to run away from that. The other thing that jumped out to me in that is there was not, we're not going to trade OG and an OB in the answer to to that question. Now, you know, I understand you can parse that many different ways, but, you know, he referenced seeing how the season unfolded. That, to me, means seeing where the team is at during the season. We've got our hopes up about potentially having a trade with this team. I do expect them, though, to be in this mushy middle, and they're going to want to keep everything together. It really does just kind of seem how things are going to go. It's true what he's saying, 
philosophically about people viewing it a little too binary? Like either you're a championship team or you're tearing it down. Like what are you, so you're just going to trade Scotty Barnes then too? And no, like you're no. Gonna, like, see, this is the thing is that you can, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, but you need to have the right pieces. It shouldn't just be, I think the the issue people have is that if, if this team is building something, mm-hmm. The pieces that are here are probably too advanced for Scott or Scotty Barnes is too far behind to kind of catch up in time. If there were, if Grady Dick takes a, you know, we can't take a leap. He hasn't done anything yet. But if he shows himself to be, "Eh, this is a rotation, this is a rotation piece. Hmm, Maybe this guy could start for you one day. Then all of a sudden you start to have the foundation of, okay, hey, you're in the mushy middle, but your young guys are getting experience and they're building. But because it's just kind of all on Scotty Barnes right now, I don't know that there's enough infrastructure around him for people to buy into that. There's not enough depth on this team. This is what makes the interesting thing about um, the 10-man rotation. Hey, I'm sure Nick Nurse would have loved to play more than six guys. I don't know that. I think Nick Nurse could have Team USA, and he'd be looking at Jimmy (laughs) Butler at the end of the bench being like, yeah, you don't want it. How about this? He would have been more willing to have an expanded rotation if he looked down that bench and he's like, oh, look at you, passable basketball player. With definable skill set that I feel comfortable enough putting into an NBA game? Both, both things could be true. There was a lack of depth, and Nick Nurse wouldn't have trusted the whoever the 27 well, Yankees are at basketball. It's, it's going to be interesting when the conversation flips, when Darko Royakovich, because part of his mandate is to extend the rotation, yeah. is to de-ease up on the minutes mm-hmm. for some of his top players. It'd be interesting after a couple of weeks when, hey, Malachi Flynn looks like he might not be any good at all. Like, mm-hmm. maybe Nick Nurse was on to something that, yeah, okay, in flashes he looked okay, but you ex- extend those minutes or you put him in a guaranteed rotation spot, that that guy's going to hurt you more than he's going to help you. And how long that continues if the Raptors continue to lose basketball games? Because it's all well and good. Like, in theory, that it, that, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Play Pascal and, and Scotty and OG sure. less um, to ease – their physical burden before the end of the season, but you got to have the players to do that. And they added some, but not a ton. Like this is mostly the same team Mm -hmm. as we saw a season ago where, okay, part of that was uh, head coach deployment being dead last in the NBA and bench minutes. Part of that is, they didn't really seem like they didn't even have the starters really to be good enough. How did how are you going to start playing bench pieces that are worse than the starters who are only good enough to get you 41 wins? Well, it all goes back to another crux of this season that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about, and it's the top six protected nature of the first-round pick that they're sending to the Spurs. I mean, there's going to come a point, and hopefully it's later rather than sooner in the season, but where you say, okay, hold on, what are we doing here? Are we going to give away a, a pick to the Spurs? Do you want to make sure you hold on to that pick mm-hmm. if you're in the 10 range? You know, the draft, people always change their opinions on. Apparently it's bad, but who knows? Maybe it'll be good by the time the draft actually starts. I never buy too much into that at the beginning of a season, but that's the other part of this that they're going to have to kind of deal with. They, you know, we can they can plug their hand in the sand, put their head in the sand and say, we want to be good all you want, but if you have a pick that's going to defer next year if it doesn't hit this year and there's a world where you might be worse if there's no pascal and no og you got to think long and hard about that as well yeah you do it's it's an important season starts tonight though season here's the other thing though it's like the lack of turnover actually probably helps them early on in the season we see this so often the teams that 
hey, the the Bucks, and I know Dame yeah. Lillard. That makes a whole lot of sense, and I think by the end of the season, we'll be saying, yeah, you think they'll be fine. Yeah, they're, they're going to be okay. But yeah, look at the big three in Miami. It took them a while to get going. This Raptors team at least knows each other. There's there's not a lot of acclimating that needs to take place between Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and OG Ananobi. No. Oh, how much they fit together, a completely different question, but they know each other. This is true. We'll, we'll start getting the answers tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves, Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. This has been The Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Good morning. Oh.